And I think the goal is not uniformity, but unity. And that God brings people of all races together and tries to make them one in Christ as brothers and sisters, but he doesn't make them all the same. So I think it's really important that we don't deny our differences. In fact, we don't deny our God-given differences, but embrace that. Welcome to Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. If you want to help heal the racial divide in our country, choose friendship. Hear the real-life story of two men who have spent a lifetime in cross-cultural relationship. That's right. Dr. Gary Chapman and Dr. Clarence Schuler met a long time ago. I've seen the pictures to prove it. And today on the Summer Best Out broadcast, we're going to talk about their practical and helpful book, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. Find out more at buildingrelationships.us. Gary, other than your memoir, I think this is probably your most personal project. Would you agree? Well, I hadn't thought about it, to be honest with you, Chris, but yeah, I think it probably is because Clarence and I, our lives have been so close together through the years, and we both in this book are revealing our journey. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't written, you know, much about that through the years, but it's been very, very meaningful to me and to Clarence. And so, uh, yeah, it is. It is a personal book. Well, let me introduce Dr. Schuler. He is president and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships. He's a counselor, speaker, author of such books as Winning the Race to Unity, Is Racial Reconciliation Really Working? Keeping Your Wife Your Best Friend and Single and Free to Be Me. He and his wife, Brenda, live in Colorado Springs. They have three adult daughters. For more information, visit his website, ClarenceSchuler.com, S-H-U-L-E-R, ClarenceSchuler.com. And our featured resource is Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships. You can find out more at 5lovelanguages.com. Well, Clarence, let me welcome you back to Building Relationships. Well, Gary, thanks for having me back. Always fun to be with you. Let's start with the question of the racial divide in the country. As you study this, you look at it from your perspective, where are we now in the whole racial situation in our country? Well, Gary, some things have improved, but I think about when I met you, it was different. There was intensity, there was dislike, and there was segregation. But I think today it seems to be the, there seems to be a hatred that's much more intense, and it's almost personal, even though people don't really know each other. I think with the George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery's and Breonna Taylor, I've never seen so many black men really afraid in their lives like like I'm seeing today. So that's why I'm really excited about our book so we can do some things to improve you know, race relations in America. But I think it's more intense than it's ever been before from my perspective. Yeah. Let me uh, jump in here, and I'm going to do this since you've re- co-written this book. And go back to when you first met then. Uh, Gary, you first. Your friendship developed during a time when your community was navigating desegregation. What are your recollections, Gary? Well, Chris, those were days of great tension in our city. Uh, Both of us grew up in the same city in North Carolina. And the population really was about 50-50, black and white. Uh, But a lot of tensions. I remember waking up one morning and seeing the National Guard on the street corners outside my uh, apartment where we lived. And we had, uh, Carolyn and I had just moved uh, to the city uh, only a few months earlier. And, uh, you know, there were marches downtown. 
the Ku Klux Klan marching downtown. Uh, hmm. Clarence sometimes says yes until the Black Panther showed up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but true. it was it was it was that kind of world, you know. Uh, integration had uh, had been taking place in the schools. It was in the process of all of that, and uh, so uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty uh, pretty tense. Yeah. And uh, what I met Clarence at a I was I was serving as an associate pastor in a local church, and we had just built a new gymnasium. And on Tuesday nights, I was uh, working with young people. So every Tuesday night, we would have a hundred or so uh, kids uh, there, uh, all of them white, because the church was basically a white church. And uh, Clarence and his friends showed up one night and walked in, you know, two black faces in the midst of a hundred you know, other white faces. And uh, I noticed that some of my adult workers kind of looked at me and, and pointed <laughs> as if to say, do you see that? <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of raised my hand, you know, trying to say, it's okay, it's okay, you know. And I found out later that a couple of our young people had actually invited one of Clarence's friends to come to, to the meeting, and he had gotten Clarence to come with him. So uh, that's where we first met. And Clarence, maybe you can pick it up from there, what happened that night. Well, you know, we even before we got there, uh, my family had like a town hall meeting to determine if we could, as two black boys, could go to a white church because it was still pretty dangerous. And so uh, they finally let us go. And once we crossed the railroad tracks to get to the church, uh, people were throwing bottles and calling us names. And once we walked into the building, uh, this brand new gym, um, my friend saw the girls that invited him and he went to be, you know, talk to them. I didn't know anybody. I was really his bodyguard. Cause back then as blacks, you never went to a white setting by yourself. And I'm thinking, there are about 100 kids here. I said, I don't know how we're going to fight our way out of here. But um, <laughs> but then uh, I went to the basketball court, and some of the adults were seemed to be nervous that I was there and giving me kind of funny looks. And I, not so much a hatred, maybe just a fear or, or not sure. But there were also some that were friendly. Uh, I remember called Dresser, Gary. And, um, mm-hmm. and then Gary came over to the basketball court, introduced himself, I think shook my hand and told me his name. And... And that's sort of just the way he did it, his mannerism made me feel safe and welcomed. And so then I stopped worrying about things once I was there. So there, is there about 10 years then difference in your ages, Clarence? Yeah, something like that. I'm not, I'm like, let's see. He, yeah, it's, it's a little more than that. But yeah. okay, a little more than that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, but maybe 14, maybe something like that. But, okay. uh, but yeah. I was, so. I was probably, I was probably 27, uh, now that I think about it. And you were okay, what, 14. Okay. I was 14, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so, 13. so there you have it. So, yeah. but, but you very much a Gary kind of a, a, you have a position of leadership in the church, and Clarence is, is you know just coming there for the first time and wondering how he's going to fight his way out of those uh, those hundred kids. I like that. Um, so Clarence, just go, circle back then to the what was going on at the time. I'm interested that you said that it was that we have more hatred now than back then when you were afraid to even walk into that church. That that astounds me. Well, you know the the good thing about the South, where we were, was if people didn't like you, you knew it. You didn't, it was no guesswork. And there were places you could go and places you couldn't go. And it was an unwritten rule that you did not. And in a lot of cities in the South, some in the North, the railroad tracks were a division of neighborhoods. And so our railroad track divided downtown from the black 
community and from the white community. And so, um, you know, when we went to the church, I wasn't, I was nervous. I didn't think anybody would do anything, but um, it was a concern. But today, when people are actually shooting and doing stuff, and I guess seeing it on video, uh, that has gotten our attention. And there are a lot of pro athletes who've spoken out about their concerns, make sure everybody has to talk. Like my parents gave me the talk before we went to uh, the church and stuff like that. But I, but it seems to be more intent. I think a lot of the racism when I was growing up at the time when I met Gary, people didn't like each other, but it was kind of an ignorance because they didn't know each other. But now with the politics and everything else, it just seems to be more intense and more people picking sides and, and more you are the enemy type deal. It's really kind of hard to articulate, I guess. So yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And and Gary, why don't you why don't you jump in there because social media is a part of that too, isn't it? Well, it is because people say things on social media they would never say if they were in the presence of the person. Uh, you know, it's like you can say anything and nobody's going to bother you. Of course, things now, people do bother you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sometimes there's civil war going on on, on the Internet. It's just people mm-hmm. are throwing out things and jabs at each other, you know. And sometimes it's uh, to particular individuals and sometimes it's just to some people of another race or another culture. So, yeah, it's a different thing. But I think all of us realize that we... Uh, we do have racial tensions in this country. And I think many Christians uh, are saying to themselves, you know, but what can I do? You know, it all seems like such a big thing and a big factor and all the things and the theories that are being thrown around and that are kind of designed really to divide us. And the question is, what can, what can I do as a Christian to help uh, in the situation? And Clarence and I really believe, and this is why we wrote this book, we really believe that if every Christian in this country had at least one really close personal friend of a different race or culture, then it would change the climate. Hmm. Now, the reality is, when you really think about it and really get down to what friendship is, uh, there's not a lot of cross-cultural, cross-racial friendships. It takes time, it takes effort, and and it takes intentionality. And so uh, we're hoping this book's going to stimulate the hearts and minds of Christians to uh, talk about this, to, to maybe read the book in small study groups and that sort of thing, so that we can all encourage each other. And it's not just a white issue or a black issue. Christians, I'm talking to Christians, whatever the race or culture. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of where we are. And, you know, when I on that night when Clarence first showed up at the gym, that night when it was all over, I just said, hey, guys, we're here every Tuesday night, and you guys are always welcome. And that was the first step. Now, Clarence took the first step by coming. <laughs> I took the second step by inviting them to come back. And so they became regular attenders. And so that's where our, our friendship began. We wouldn't even have thought of it as friendship in those early days. It was mm-hmm. just being friendly to each other, you know. And, and that's where friendship starts is by being friendly to the other person. Thanks for joining us today for Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Find out more about that online at fivelovelanguages.com. You can also hear a past program, take an online assessment to figure out your love language, or see our featured resource today, all at fivelovelanguages.com. That resource is the book, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time.
Dr. Clarence Schuler is our guest. He's a speaker, author, president, and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships. You can find out more about him and our featured resource at fivelovelanguages.com. I want to go back to something you said uh, before the break, Gary, and it was that Clarence took the first step and then you invited him back. That was the second step. Actually, the step that, that instigated this all is somebody invited him. Somebody of another race invited him. So this shows exactly what you're talking about, that we can work together to foster these friendships. Now, at the time when you met Clarence, you had no idea that you'd have this decades-long friendship with him, did you? No, it never crossed my mind that we would have a lifelong friendship. Uh, but it was I was simply doing what I believe the Bible teaches, and that is be friendly to people. You know, the Scriptures say... He who would have friends must show himself friendly. <laughs> so I was just being friendly to him, you know, and treating him like uh, like we were friends. And then, of course, they started responding and coming, and we got to know each other, you know, bit by bit, week by week. Yeah. Clarence, did did things get worse in your community at that time, and how did you and Gary work through that? Well, no, things in my neighborhood did not necessarily get worse. I mean, we were— um, we were segregated. I did have some of my friends ask me about going to the white church. And then I think some some parents were concerned about me as a black guy going to the church and how can my mother or dad let me go. And so uh, so that was kind of an issue. Yeah. But my neighbor per se did not get, get worse because I had a friendship with Gary. In fact, you know, uh, they saw him come pick me up sometimes, you know, in the in my neighborhood. And how did they respond to that, this white pastor picking up this African-American young man? Well, you need to understand back in the 60s that people of faith were treated differently and had a lot of respect whether they were black or white. So, in fact, he was a minister coming to get me, you know, sort of gave him a pass. And, mm-hmm. uh, and usually only white people came in our neighborhood were collecting bills. And so we it wasn't uncommon to see a white person come in our neighborhood, but it wasn't common to see us as black people get in the same car and go somewhere with them. I'm interested in, in uh, Gary. Did, was there ever anything that he didn't get, you know, anything that you would say? <laughs> did you have to school him about something? <laughs> well, I'm going to say this, then I'm going to turn it over to him because it's one instant we need to talk about. But, you know, honestly, I had such a hunger at the time for the word, and this was totally new. I'm going to this forbidden territory of being with white people and kind of learn that world. So I'm starting to live in two worlds. I live in my own world, black world, but then the white world. Uh, but there is one thing I let Gary tell you. I wouldn't say I schooled him, but we I, I guess we both got an education. But Gary, why don't you tell Chris about the first time you came and picked us up and, and uh, you, you explain that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I went by the house, the Clarence's house, to pick up him and James, another one of his friends. And I got out of my car, and they were on the porch, and I started walking toward the house. And I said, you boys ready to go? And his friend James said, I ain't no boy. (laughs) And I said, okay, James, I think uh, we need to have a talk. And I said, "Uh, when this is all over, because the time framework, we had to leave. I said, when we get through with the meeting tonight, uh, let's the three of us sit down, and I want to hear what you're saying, man. You know, I want to understand you. And so we went on to the meeting, and that night we had a long discussion afterwards. And uh, Clarence and James explained to me, said, you know, our fathers, grown men, are called boys by white men. 
And we've always been told, don't ever let white people call you a boy. You know, they saw it as a derogatory term. And I said, man, I get it. You know, it, didn't, it never crossed my mind, Chris, in those days that that word would have, you know, a derogatory meaning. And once I affirmed them and, and, and you know, it's expressed understanding, I said, guys, let me just share my perspective. And I said, you know, if I were picking up two white guys your age, I would have called them boys. I said, to me, the term has to do with age, you know, not with anything else. And and they understood that, you know, they, they affirmed that. And so that's the kind of conversations I think you will have uh, in, in, in starting uh, friendships with someone of a different race or culture, because we perceive things differently and we don't understand uh, terms and what they might mean to people. But when you're beginning to spend time together and listening to each other, uh, you, you, you get the other person's perspective. And consequently, uh, you're less likely then to put other people down unknowingly by using terms that have a different meaning in that culture. Clarence, what happened to you when you heard Gary listening to what you two had to say? Well, one, we were boys, <laughs> but it was uh, <laughs> so, so to have an adult, you know, male, which was a big deal, too. Uh, and we both had really great dads. But to have him take time to listen to our perspective immediately helped, you know, my friend and me to really love Gary. Uh, he treated us with respect. He treated us with dignity. So he immediately made us feel equal. And so we really, I think it was really at that time that he began, or at least from our perspective, we began to really become friends. That was, that was really important. Even though he's a grown man at the time, we weren't. Uh, that, that was huge for us. And I think that's when I began to feel I could trust him. And that's when he sort of became non-white to me. You know, even though physically I could see he was white, but in real sense, I said, you can't really be white and be good because that just that breaks the stereotype. And so, I, so I'm trying to process all of it in my head, you know, as a, as a 14-year-old, 14, 15-year-old. Yeah. I think what you've just touched on there is the reason why uh, things are so hard today, and it's because people won't listen. You'll hear something about something that's going on in the culture where there's a difference of opinion between one race and another, and immediately you entrench and you're and you can't listen. You can't listen to the other person. Isn't that Gary? The 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 start of a good friendship is to be able to say, "Tell me what how you how do you see this differently than I do." I think Chris, that is the heart of what builds a relationship. We have to have ears to hear the other person's perspective. You know, I've been teaching this for years in marriage, that a husband in a in a conflict situation with his wife needs to try to put himself over there and look at the world through her eyes, try to understand how she could think what she's thinking and feel what she's feeling, and then affirm it. It's not what he thinks and feels because he's a, he's a different person. And so it works in a marriage in the same race, but cross-cultural lines, it's so important that when there is something that the person takes in a way that you didn't mean it, is to hear them out and, and try to understand where they're coming from, you know, what, what they're feeling, why they're feeling it. And when you do, you can affirm it, uh, you, whereas before you didn't understand it. Now you can say, I get it. You know, I see uh, how you would feel that way. And, uh, and then they listen to you the same way. It takes, it takes this empathetic listening that is trying to understand the other person's perspective and then affirming it that allows a, a friendship to go forward. Because otherwise, 
uh, if you don't solve conflicts and work through conflicts, uh, typically the relationship stops. Right. And often it stops you know, too short to really get into a friendship. But you could have said, look, I just meant age, and I didn't mean anything by it racially. You're too sensitive, yeah. and you walked mm. away. And that's what most relationships, well, a lot of relationships, what they do today, they just dismiss. Yeah, we get defensive and, and, and shoot back a defense of what we said or what we did. And when we were defensive, we never get to the root of the problem because we never understand the other person. Yeah, and had Gary said that, we never would have gotten in the car. And so if, yeah. he, if he had said we were too sensitive, we never would have gotten to the car. And the relationship probably would have ended there mm-hmm. before it got started. <laughs> <laughs> go if you go to 5lovelanguages.com, you you'll see that featured resource, this new book by Dr. Chapman, Dr. Schuler, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. Go to 5lovelanguages.com. Clarence, uh, we both acknowledge that making friendships as adults uh, can be challenging and sometimes requires you to step out of your comfort zone. Uh, Share the story about two men who had an initial bonding uh, over their minivans and how easily relationship, positive relationships can get started. Well, the story is is actually one of my friends who I mentor, or he asked me to be a spiritual dad, and he is a white guy. He's six feet four inches tall used to play offensive lineman in college and he says i love my dad but i need somebody to be my spiritual dad will you do that so i'm I'm like his spiritual dad so he's at the gas station in his minivan Uh, they have four children and he sees this black guy filling up his minivan and all of a sudden he says to the he says to the black guy he says hey uh that's a nice minivan you got. And the black guy says, well, yeah, but I rubbed you driving a truck. But I've got five kids and one on the way, so the minivan is more practical. And so he said, I'd rather be driving a truck, too. And just that commonality and one take the initiative, they talked long enough to where my friend uh, got, knew who he was and got his number and asked him out for lunch. And so after that, they met at lunch, found that they both were Christians. And now I think they meet every week or every two weeks and just have built a relationship. And it it was just that simple of saying hello to someone or making a positive comment and the other guy taking off with it. So that's, it's really easy to do. It's not as hard, hard as people think it is. Yeah. Well, what do you say to people who might be intimidated by that kind of story? And they say, Oh, I could never do that. Just talk to somebody I don't know at the gas station. Well, if they're a Christian, I would just say, well, you know, it could be possible we should, you know, take a risk and speak out. I said the Bible also tells us we should tell people about Jesus Christ. So we should actually pray about opportunities to share the gospel. And I say, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm really nervous, but I get that opportunity and I just try and speak. And and I say, well, I, I do understand that. And then I ask them, why do you think you're so intimidated? Or do you think maybe you could just say hello to someone who's different without any kind of racial connotation to say, hey, how are you doing? Do you think you could do that? And so when they begin to look at it and try and go beyond themselves, or um, we talk about this whole thing about learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think when Christians learn how to do that, then great things can happen. I remember another story we tell in the book is uh, a couple of ladies, uh, one was white and one was black, and they kept running into each other at the grocery store. Each week they'd kind of pass each other and say hi, you know, 
And one day, uh, the white lady said to the black lady, uh, this must be your shopping day. I see you here often. And she said, oh, yes, this is my shopping day. And so the white lady said, well, how, how are things going in, in your life? And she said, well, that fine, except my mother is, is really, really sick. And so she listened to her. She talked about her mother. And she said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for your mother. And uh, so the next week she asked how her mother was doing. And, and then she said, uh, maybe the third week, she said, you know, would it be okay if I brought your mother, if I visited with your mother and brought her some flowers? And she said, well, sh- sh- sure, yeah, sure. She was kind of shocked, you know. But, and so, so she did. When, uh, when she left, the lady told her the next week, she said, my mother was shocked that you, a white lady, would come and bring her flowers and pray for her. And so they started having conversations at the grocery store week after week. And I don't know, several weeks along into that, uh, she invited her to come to a Bible study at, at her house that she had with other ladies. And so this lady came, and she was the only black lady there. Uh, but uh, eventually, uh, she, you know, they, they, they all became friends. <laughs> she, she became a, a part of the group. And so, again, it was just taking the first step to initiate a conversation, just as simple as you know, asking a person's name uh, when you, you run in. And we all, we all encounter people. It, it's pretty hard in our country, unless you really live in a rural area that's, that's you know, totally segregated, uh, not to run into people of a different race or culture. It's just that we tend to ignore each other many times rather than you know, starting a conversation. This is Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman. If you go to our website, findlovelanguages.com, you'll see our featured resource as well as many of Dr. Chapman's books. He's the New York Times bestselling author of The Five Love Languages. Go to fivelovelanguages.com for some of those resources, and you can hear a podcast of the program and find more simple ways to strengthen relationships at fivelovelanguages.com. The featured resource today is the book by Dr. Clarence Schuler and Dr. Gary Chapman, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. We have it linked at fivelovelanguages.com. It's fivelovelanguages.com. Gary, you talk about friendship beginning with courtesy and patience. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, Chris, the word uh, courtesy comes from two Greek words. One means the mind, and the other means friend. So to be courteous is to be friendly-minded. That is, treat people as you would treat a friend. And if you keep that in your heart and mind, and this is why I say it begins there, that I want to be courteous to the people that I encounter today. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you were driving your car and you pulled into a parking lot and it was packed and you saw an empty space and you're driving toward that space, but you see another car come around the corner and they're headed for the same space, what do we do by nature? We speed up and get the place. <laughs> but if the person in the other car was a friend of yours, what would you do? Chances are you'd give them the spot. Well, what if we treat everybody as though they were a friend? You see, it gives you a mental picture in your mind when you're asking yourself that question. I want to treat people as a friend. How would I treat my friend? And when you have that attitude, it's the beginning uh, step, I think, of having cross-cultural friendships is that you're going to treat people as a friend. And who knows? It may be They may become your friend down the line. And the patience part, I think, recognize that friendships are not born overnight. You know, it was a long time before Clarence and I probably would even thought in terms of that we're friends. Yes. 
you know, we, we were acquaintances. We, he came to the meetings we had that time, you know, and then once he became a Christian, I started meeting with him and having, you know, studying scriptures with him, memorizing scriptures with him and that sort of thing. And that's at that juncture, uh, it was really what we call a mentoring friendship, you know, and, and Christians, I mean, that's our, that's our job, leading people to Christ and then mentoring them or discipling them. And so it was a mentoring relationship, uh, and, but it was a friendship. We talked about different levels of friendship, uh, and that's, that's, one, that's one kind or one type of friendship uh, is a mentoring friendship. And, and at that juncture, we would have called ourselves friends because we'd spent enough time together, and I kind of sensed his heart, and he sensed my heart. Uh, but I think uh, friendships are born over time. They don't just happen you know, over a weekend, and now we're friends. We initiate them, perhaps over a weekend or anywhere, anytime, uh, but it takes time to grow friendships. That's what struck me, Clarence, about your friendship with Gary. It's it was so organic. It it was there was no agenda on either side. You just came to know each other and grew in that friendship. And and over this over the decades, you you love each other. Well, yeah. I mean, it just sort of happened, <laughs> you know, from a biblical mm. perspective. Uh, he was again. It was it was intriguing to me because it was a new world for me. It's a world that I had been forbidden to to enter, and so to be able to enter that world and to enter my own world uh, was exciting for a new guy and uh, for me. And then he was telling me stuff about Jesus that I didn't know, and I didn't really know about Jesus in the context of being a personal savior, having a personal relationship. So that was all. That was very fascinating and intriguing and quite a draw for me. Did you two have any conflict, Clarence? Not that I know of. Uh, I think the only thing we had, and it was, I, you know, was the boy thing. That's the only time that we kind of <laughs> reared back. <laughs> was, was Other than that, honestly, uh, Chris, we really didn't talk about race a lot. It, not that we tried to avoid it. Uh, there were times, I think, when he started discipling me that I was concerned for his safety because I would see his neighbors give him a kind of look that they would normally be reserved for me. And so I was concerned for him and his family. And uh, of course, I found out later he saw those looks, but I was concerned he just oblivious to it or not. But that was it. But we have not had, you know, from my perspective, any real conflict. Gary, any uh, any tough love with Clarence? <laughs> well, I remember the time when he... He got lax at his studies when he was in college, and uh, he he uh, flunked out, and uh, had to move out of the dorm and all. And I don't know how I found out where he was, but anyway, I I, I called the guy that he was living with, had moved in with, to give him a place to stay. I asked him if I could speak to Clarence, and he told Clarence, and he said Clarence doesn't want to talk to you. And I said, well, you tell Clarence if he doesn't talk to me on the phone, I'll be up there tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> so Clarence decided he'd talk to me on the phone. <laughs> yeah, and, and he shared, you know, that he felt like he had disappointed me, and that's why he didn't want to talk to me. And I said, well, Clarence, I am disappointed, you know. I am. I'm ser- I am disappointed. I said, but uh, it's not the end of the world. And I said, there's, there's still a future, and God still has plans for you. So I said, you know, think about it. You might just come home for a while and and work for a while, and then we'll we'll talk and pray about what the next step is. I said, but uh, it's not the end of the world. 
Clarence, I don't know how you responded in your own mind now, looking back on that, how important that was. But well, well, I think for me, the fact you found me really surprised me. And uh, and Chris, you may not know this, but my dad had died about a year earlier, or and so um, so really. I never told Gary, but I kind of looked at him as my dad. In fact, my dad was alive. I felt like I had the best of two worlds. I had two dads. Um, so when he found, so when he called me, uh, I, you know, I was embarrassed, you know, because I was all about beating the system. And usually I'd flunk my midterm and ace my final and keep my 2.0 so I could play basketball. But I forgot my final exam schedule and flunked out. And I was actually homeless for about three weeks. And then this guy had me come stay with him. So that was, you know, the fact that he cared really meant a lot, even though I didn't say it at the time. Uh, and it kind of gave me hope. I mean, there was no way I was going home because I'd just been too embarrassing. So I found a job working at a youth center, Chicago Gospel Mission uh, Youth Center, and uh, got my grades back up and then, you know, got a, a partial scholarship to another Christian school. But, but knowing he was there for me uh, really meant a lot. And just to hear that, you know, if there's somebody listening and you feel like there's some mistake that you've made and the, it's the end of the world, probably it isn't. But what I find uh, the enemy doing, Clarence, is isolating. And that's what mm-hmm. he did with you. You know, your, your shame and guilt and all of that. But there are people who loved you and, and wanted the best for you and were willing to – they were down for the struggle, as they say – um, last week on the program, Clarence, we talked about transracial, transethnic, cultural adoption, and mm. we talked about this, the idea of being colorblind. I don't mm. see color anymore. I just see you – know, I'm just going to love my adopted child no matter where they're from or what color they are. That colorblind um, conundrum is really something that you want to address. Talk about that. Well, I, I'm also a diversity consultant, uh, and so I serve a lot of Christian and secular organizations, helping them in their diversity er- areas, uh, issues. And one thing you need to know is that kids who are adopted by different cultures, usually between 18 and 25, typically have an identity crisis, no matter how good the parents have been, because they don't really fit into parents' culture. And then a lot of times, because they've been adopted and put into another culture, they don't really fit in their own culture. And so they can be rejected by two cultures. So you need to understand that. But typically, in my almost my first session of doing diversity training, someone will say, uh, hey, I'm colorblind, and we don't really need to have this session. And I say, that's really great. And I said, wow, I'm, I'm sorry, you're colorblind. And I say, well, what color is that shirt you have on? And then they'll say it's blue. And I say, hold time out. <laughs> I say, how can you be colorblind and tell what color that is? And most people, when they say that, have a good intentions. They're trying to say they want to treat everybody equally. And there are some who are actually defensive. And if you ask them enough questions, you'll find they have a racial issue. But when people talk about colorblind, it can be unintentionally misleading. And it may stimulate negative emotions by people of color and raise questions. But let me simply ask this question. If you don't see color, that means you don't see me. Am I invisible? And so and we've had some dear friends who've been wounded more than I have. And that becomes a big issue. If you're colorblind, then which culture are you going to implement, yours or mine, if you're colorblind? So that really becomes something that a lot of people don't think about. And so I'm, I'm just suggesting that we shouldn't. It's not a great word to use 
because guys got difference and guys not colorblind. So to say we're colorblind can create a problem. And I think the goal is not uniformity, but unity. And that God brings people of all races together and tries to make them one in Christ as brothers and sisters, but he doesn't make them all the same. So I think it's really important that we don't deny our differences. In fact, we don't deny our God-given differences, but embrace that. So people who adopt kids of different cultures should really learn about those different cultures and share that with the child they're, they're adopting, that they've adopted and raised. No, I think, uh, Chris, that's exactly what uh, our speaker last week on the program was saying, who has adopted two black uh, children, along with the two biological children that she has, uh, is expose those children to their biological culture uh, so that they do identify with, with you know, their, their race or their culture, along with uh, the, the adoptive parents. We hope today's program is encouraging you about healing the racial divide in our country, this is Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. He's also written a new book with Dr. Clarence Schuler titled Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. Find out more at fivelovelanguages.com. Clarence, can you give us the key ingredients needed for a cross-cultural friendship? Well, I think some of the things that we've already discussed, but one would be acceptance or an openness to those who are different from us. And Gary talked about that when I came into the church and people were concerned. He said, hey, it's going to be okay." So that was an acceptance, which is really important. I think you have to have intentionality. Uh, I think you have to be willing to risk rejection. You know, when Gary had me come in, well, when I was at the church and he was telling other people it's going to be okay. He risked some rejection from his neighbors. Uh, I risked rejection from my peers by having friends or going to a church that was white. I think respect, if we develop a relationship, also forgiveness. And I think overcoming some of our fears of different cultures, extending grace and learning to spend time together. I think those are really some of the key ingredients in, in the whole idea of serving each other. So I think celebrating other cultures and to celebrate other cultures, you have to understand their history so you can do things together. And then uh, one of the five love languages, I think, acts of service. So I think if we do some of those things, and, that, and you don't do them all at once, but in the context of building relationships, uh, that really helps a cross-cultural friendship or a friendship even the same race. Yeah. Intentional is the main word that you use there. So uh, let's cut to the chase. Gary, how do you do this? How do you begin and foster these kind of friendships that you're talking about? Well, Chris, I believe as Christians, the first thing we do is pray. <laughs> if God loves everybody in the world and wants everybody in the world to know him and have a relationship with him, and if I am a Christian and have accepted his gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life and a relationship with God, then wouldn't we assume, since he's told us to go into all the world and share the gospel and make disciples, wouldn't we assume that he wants to use me to reach people uh, that I encounter in the normal flow of life many times who are different from me? And so I think just praying about it. I, I think there are many Christians, Chris, who, who really have never even thought about 
the whole concept of having a deep friendship with someone of a different race. And so I think you just pray and say, God, you know, I've heard this program, or maybe you read the book now, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think maybe you want me to do this, you know. So I'm just praying that you'll help me to have open eyes to see the opportunities that, that, that are around me and, uh, and lead me as I, as I seek to uh, reach out and, and, and acknowledge people who are different from me. So I think it starts with a prayer uh, because everything we do, it needs to be based with God, you know, and we need the help of God. And so I think if we do that, then God will open our eyes. And the people maybe have just been walked down the hallways where we work or where we go to school or at sports events, and we see them. We've just never identified them. We've never had a conversation with them. Uh, we might, rather than just saying, hey, how are you? Fine, how are you? <laughs> we might pause long enough to say, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever even gotten your name down, but what is, what is your name? If it's somebody that you see on a regular basis, and see again, that's that's kind of risky because you think they're going to think awful of me. I don't even know their name. Well, hmm. you don't know their name. Just be honest, you know, because they may not know your name either. But at any rate, you can start having conversations with people. I think it begins with an initial conversation in which you just talk about anything to start with, but it has to get deeper than the weather and sports eventually, which are the two common things that we do talk about. And so I think once that starts, uh, then maybe it, may, maybe it moves to having spending a break time together if you work in the same place or maybe having lunch together uh, or, you know, some, something that you sit down together where you have a deeper conversation to find out if they're married, if they have kids, you get the names of the kids and all this sort of thing. And it's just little by little as we spend time together, you might have, you might have several lunches and every, every lunch you have, you're getting to know each other better. And uh, then you consequently you start thinking in terms and asking questions about, you know, uh, is there anything I could do that to help you, or are you struggling anywhere in your life, or you know, how are things going? And if if people sense that you are interested in them, and you ask how are things going, uh, they will tell you how things are going. Hmm. Just like the lady I mentioned earlier in the grocery store who said, "Well, I'm doing okay, except my mother's really, really sick." Uh, so if, if you ask questions as to what, how are things going and then listen, you know, don't just uh, walk away. Uh, they'll eventually, if they think you're serious, they'll begin to tell you. And then you can see things that you might do to enrich their lives. And uh, Clarence mentioned that whole attitude of serving others. I mean, this is the central theme of the Christian life. Jesus said about himself, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And we're called to serve others in the way he served us. So eventually we're looking for how we can help the other person. And when we help them, then chances are if we have a need that they can fulfill, they're going to help us because friendship's always a two-way street. It's never a one-way street. So those are, those are kind of the common ways in which we can start friendships. Clarence, why does God celebrate diversity? Does he? Well, I think he does. If we look to... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 27. What's interesting in that is that you have the body that talks about unity. Then you have the many parts that talk about diversity. And they exist simultaneously. And as I'm studying this more and as Gary and I are talking and teaching on this topic, it seems to me that God really embraces difference. But here's the deal, that Gary has a difference that I has something I don't have and vice versa. 
But what God does with our differences, he creates an interdependency. And when we come together and realize we need each other, then that creates a unity that I really believe glorifies God. And so I think that's why God celebrates difference and, and diversity is to really teach us how to become interdependent upon one another like we are with him and the body. And I think that brings a smile to God's face. Well, I just, you know, in the last few years, looking at all the divisions and the and the conflict, I just think something like this might be the very spark that will change things. And I know that's your hope, Gary and Clarence, yeah. uh, that, that that's what you want to foster here. So thank you for writing this and putting this together. Well, we're excited about it. You know, you cannot legislate friendships. Hmm. We can legislate some things, and we should, and we have. But uh, you can't legislate friendships. They have to be forged one friendship at a time. Hmm. Clarence, thanks for your work. Well, thanks so much for having us. And uh, our prayer is that people, as they listen to this show to, today, that, well, their hearts will be touched. And they'll have the Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, that I can go out and be cordial and say hello to someone of a different culture and see what God does with that. That's Dr. Clarence Schuler, who has written the book along with Dr. Gary Chapman, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. Oh, there's a lot of hope here. You can find out more at 5lovelanguages.com. Go to 5lovelanguages.com. And coming up next week, how do you instill confidence and resilience in the lives of your children? Our summer best of broadcasts continue in one week with that practical topic with Dr. Kathy Cook. Before we go, let me thank our production team, Steve Wick and Janice Backing. Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman is a production of Moody Radio in association with Moody Publishers, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening. 